everyone, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, the ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy, hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 10, Episode 13, which is titled Get Carter. The episode aired on February 5th, 2004. Lauren, what was gone that week 20 years ago? At Super Bowl 38, the New England Patriots defeat the Carolina Panthers 32-29 to for their second Super Bowl win in three years. Patriots quarterback Tom Brady is named MVP. I read that this was, on the Wikipedia, that this was considered, like, the greatest Super Bowl ever. Like, Well, I wonder why! Uh, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. For a time, I'm sure they probably had a claim to that. Because, I mean, it was a close game. And, and also, too, as I recall, other than the... The second, or I mean, the the first one when they beat the Rams, like there had been kind of a run in the last like five years prior to this that uh, Super Bowls were bad, like they were blowouts mm. and stuff. So like, it was in a, a down period. So, so Adam Vinatieri winning it on a last minute field goal was exciting. Yeah, for the people. With that being said, the other reason it could have been the Super Bowl of forever uh, was during the halftime show of the Super Bowl, Janet Jackson's mostly bare breast was accidentally exposed after Justin Timberlake ripped a part of her costume off. Nobody would shut up about it for years. And I looked into it. I didn't I never knew anything really about this. Otherwise, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, cool. A boob. A boob that's covered that has the nipple covered. Great. Awesome. Whatever. Um. But apparently, like, the part that was supposed to rip was supposed to be, like, not the whole, not that one yeah. cup. What was supposed to be, like, the whole, like, leather part was supposed to come off, I guess. Oh. And something just ripped in the wrong spot. Like, it had worked plenty of times during rehearsals, but. But, of course, it's Janet Jackson's fault. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Justin Timberlake She's a has... society and should be shamed <laughs> for all eternity. One of my favorite things, there's not a whole lot to, to hang your hat on with modern society, but, but. One of my one of my low key faves of the last five years has been the like, not complete but pretty widespread re uh, reconsideration of Justin Timberlake and just being like, actually I think he sucks and he's sucked this whole time and like we're just like kind of like as a society figuring that out in in like I, real time. I have not heard that at all, so I believe you, but I have not heard well, any of that Well, I mean, discourse. like, he's, like, tangentially related to a lot of shitty things. Like, he's tangentially related to this, like, and that, and that he suffered roughly zero consequences for it and did nothing to, like, defend her in at mm-hmm. the time. Like, he was, not not to say that, like, he did it on purpose or anything, but, like, he just did nothing to, like, help the situation and did nothing to, like, take any of the heat off of her. Yeah, and you know, then all the Britney Spears stuff. There's been all that whole, you know, during that whole like free Britney thing, like, and then mm-hmm. with her writing an autobiography and stuff, like, there's just been the kind of this like this reckoning with Justin Timberlake, where it's like actually he might have sucked the whole time, and we were just like it was the early 2000s, and we didn't know any better. It's like now it's like you go back and watch some of those award show performances when he was in his like immediate post in uh, sync era when he was like the cool hot breakout star of that thing and it's like wow he's lame as fuck like he is fucking lame he's just actually that guy they played in the social network the guy who made napster kind of a little bit but like somehow lamer like it's just uh, it's just, just telling you go back and watch some of those <laughs> okay but dances but his duets i'm just gonna plug for mama Lori here because she'll kill me if i don't she's obsessed with his duets that he's done with uh, chris stapleton 
Country Star. Oh, Just true. saying, every time I'm home, she has to listen to them, and they're really fucking catchy. But I'll know Mom's home because those songs will be playing. So when I think Justin Timberlake now, that's what I think, unfortunately. Like, I don't think any of his older, like, mid- after instinct stuff i'm just like yep that's that one song with chris stapleton that my mom can't stop listening to shall we continue speaking of the social network mm, please yeah. uh on february 4th mark zuckerberg and four of his college roommates launched the social media platform facebook this has since been regarded as a bad move <laughs> nice look three billion users later nice lizzie it's the, uh, it's the first half hour of the social network playing out in real time Yep. Uh, number one movies over the short break included Along Came Polly and The Butterfly Effect. This week, though, the dance drama film You Got Served debuts and takes the top spot at the box office. Remember and- when no one would shut up by saying you got served? Like, anytime anyone just got dissed? Nope. No, was, that I- just a, was that just a white... White kid Geneva thing. I think that, that was, I think that was well, trying to be cool. Suburban Chicago trash talk. Because I know my... my uh, my upbringing out in the, you know, very, very white suburbs in Michigan. Yeah, we had plenty of shit like this, but I don't think anybody did the you got served thing. Oh, it was all over my high school and annoyed the fuck out of me. And anyway, Hey Ya by Outcast continues its dominant run atop the music charts. Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One Where the Stripper Cries. Uh, oh, that's promising. Yeah, and at eight thirty, uh, the Apprentice with the episode Trading Places. I think these, I think these episode titles are flipped. <laughs> <laughs> one, one seems one seems much more appropriate for the other. Uh, Jesus, Daniel, thank this, you for that. This week's episode. Um, tis- this week's episode had twenty two point two million viewers tuning in. Uh, directed by Leslie Lincoln Gladder, uh, who maybe still is, or at, but definitely at one time was the president of the Directors Guild uh, hmm. of, of America. She's president of the Directors Union. Um, she's doing her eighth out of thirteen as a director. Last time we saw her was Flight of Fancy, uh, a whole four years ago, uh, when uh, she not not f- not four years in our time, four years in Showtime. Uh, no, I f- I know, but still. Which was the, uh, if you will recall, that was the uh, uh, helicopter edging episode where uh, they kept teasing that a helicopter (laughs) would explode and then it never actually did. Uh, And written by everyone's problematic fave, R. Scott Gemmel, doing his 20th out of 32. Previous ones of his from this season include The Greater Good and Dear Abby. Uh, And uh, we got no Chen this week, even though she is mentioned and ostensibly speaking to a character, she's still not seen on screen. Can I say this? I think we continue the R. Scott Gemmel growth arc here. I yeah. think this was another one where, like, just putting that out there right now, I I think our boy's continuing to grow as a person. Yeah, you know. If the best best you can say about him at this point is that he can write a, a pretty benign episode, it's like, all right, uh, I will take it. I, will I don't think – I. I don't think this one has any egregious bodily fluids jokes in it, so I'll take it. Not off the top of my head anyway, certainly. Yeah. Anyway, our previous one is brought to us by no one, because fuck you, that's why. Uh, We open with a a snowy ambulance bay. Uh, Lizzie's dropping off Ella with another parent for a birthday party, and we get a couple of semi-notable appearances here. Yeah, just more so it's recurring appearances, because we're starting with, imagine that, mark it in your calendars, people. Lizzie Corday is starting a mini-arc here. (laughs) Like, we're going to have a, we're actually going to have an honest-to-God squint so hard your eyeballs bleed Lizzie Corday storyline. Um, 
so little girl here that Ella's friend, uh, Sydney, she's played by actress Callie Majors, who appears in stuff like Baby Blues, Strong Medicine, and Small Town Saturday Night. Not really that notable, but she is making her first of three appearances as part of this little mini arc here. Uh, and the dad, Sydney's dad, Dave, uh, he is played by actor Stephen Culp, who appears in stuff like 13 Days, Desperate Housewives, and Captain America Winter Soldier. And he also appeared, this is the second time we're seeing him, he also appeared way back in season six, episode one, as a completely different character. But uh, it's not that we've never had uh, actors play multiple characters. It is strange, though, in this case, to have a character who interacted with Lizzie the last time he was on the show as a different character and now is returning as a completely different character who is also going to be interacting primarily with Lizzie. Just thought that was interesting. I just need to say, I just had the intrusive thought of, oh, maybe I'll watch Desperate Housewives again instead of watching The Wire. Carry on. And uh, he's making his first of four appearances as Dave, uh, and he does have 130 credits to his name, which, uh, doing my cursory scroll through the notes here, I'm pretty sure that makes him the high-water mark actor for this episode. All right, let's go to our first audio clip here. Uh, Cam and Carter roll into the ER. Do you think I could talk to someone in the infectious disease department? It would be great to compare adherence statistics for HIV patients in Chicago. Yeah, I could probably arrange that. And it would be really helpful if I could spend some time in your clinical lab. Because even though the chances of us getting one are remote, I would love to take a look at the current generation flow cytometer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hand-counting lymphocytes under a microscope is the best I can do for now. Yeah, I just got a check on this from Dr. Weaver. Frank, have you seen Dr. Weaver? Try to lounge. Favorite thing. Breakfast pierogi. His dedication to the staff and patients would be hard to... Karen! Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You didn't? Have you seen Dr. Lewis? No, I just got on. Hey, would you mind if Kim observed in the hospital today? Yeah. Um, she has her master's degree in public health. Well, that's no reason to punish her. Give the poor woman a credit card, Carter. Let her have some fun. I tried that. She, uh, would like to speak to the public health nurses and... See how we try communicable disease. Sure, fine. Maybe she can motivate some of these slackers around here. Frank, where's Lewis? Got me. Okay, I want everybody in the lobby at nine for the dedication. Uh, what dedication? Well, they're renaming the hospital Romano Memorial. <laughs> Not kidding. Where's Kim? Do all the patients with sexually transmitted infections get routine HIV testing? Sometimes. Depends on the doctor. Do you refer them to your STI clinic? I don't think they have one. You talked to Dr. Weaver? Yeah, she said everything's fine. Kim's going to be hanging out in the hospital today. Why? Oh, bless. I really, I have to say, I don't mind how Kim is in this episode. My bigger issue is how the plot synopsis covers her as, like, Carter's naive girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, that wasn't the Hulu description. It was really... But Laura and I were both very bothered by that. And yeah, so, like, I, I just want to say, I love how... Um, ambitious and curious Kem is and how much she wants to take advantage of getting to look at all these resources because it's got to be like a kid in a candy shop compared to what she's used to working with out in the Congo. Yeah, I don't I don't find anything about her behavior in this episode to be that problematic. Like, I know, I know mm-hmm. that, like, a lot of people describe her in in discussions about this episode they describe her as prop as uh annoying and you know like she's no. i've even seen I've e- i have even seen yeah. people compare her to alex no <laughs> like, in, Ooh. In turn- Ooh, who are those people i want to slap them right there may be some in our discord 
But I'm just saying, like there, so there's like expose yourselves. People so I kind of slap. I, I went into this episode sort of with my guard up to just be mm-hmm. like, oh, this this could be. I'm, I might have to like really think about this. And as I watched it, I was like, no, she's she's just enthusiastic. Like she's like you said, she's getting to experience this level of uh, you know resources and this level of access uh, for maybe the first time. Certainly the first time in a long time. And, you know, she's excited about it. She's excited to see how she can take the lessons that and the experiences that she's having here and bring them back to her clinic in, you know, the Congo. And I do I do sort of blanch at the characterization in the description and also to kind of just her general air of Mm -hmm. wide eyedness. Like, okay, yeah, the wide eyedness is a bit much. The wide eyed. It's like they make it seem like she has spent her entire life in a third world clinic in the Congo. Not that that's just her job. Like, I'm right. pretty sure she's been to a hospital before, like a, a, yep. a first world hospital. And so. Yeah, but this, has she ever been to an American one, though? Because honestly, she we have a unique, say- shitty healthcare system. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, even in London, though, I mean, they're not that, it, on a technological level, they're not that far off from what we have. And it's not like county is this, like, technological marvel either they're not a leader in any particular thing they're a county hospital you know so it's just that those are the only like you know little nitpicks i think i would it's not like she's at northwestern right yeah you know but as far as her like enthusiasm and like her uh, her need or not need but her desire to kind of like poke her fingers into every little thing like i i totally get where that comes from for sure it's nice to be passionate about things yeah imagine (laughs) Fellas, is it gay to care? Like, what? Like, it's it's fine. Uh, then we go into our first patient brought in, who I thought was going to be a much bigger deal. Uh, a 31 year old male fell down a flight of stairs. Uh, he's overweight. They make a joke about like, oh, you know, brace yourself before you lift this guy. Great, whatever. We learned Gallant is uh doing EMT runs today, and Frank is at the front desk. Abby comes over and he says he thinks he's having a heart attack. Oh. That's sad. Uh, but then, and Abby's like, are you serious? Are you serious? Okay, sit down. And as she goes to sit him down, he lets out the most repulsive, gigantic belch man has ever heard. And then he's like, oh, that's better. That's so much department. better. Yeah, and he's like, oh, it was probably just the pierogies. This this is the R. Scott Gemmel. Like, this is yeah, the... And it's yeah. fine. It's, it's if, fine. If, it's if, not we have, just... if we have managed in a season and a half to whittle him down to round off the edges from that. from hand job in a theater jokes down to uh, Frank Justice for Mr. Whiskers down to down to Frank does a belch I'm very proud of him like I'm ex- yes. exceedingly proud of the growth he's undergone Yep and then uh Luca comes in he's wearing a nice suit Abby calls him Mr. GQ Frank asks if he's getting ready for a deportation hearing and Abby promptly tells Frank to have another pierogi just cute, good little interaction. Had to get it. Uh, we Susan comes out of the on-call room, uh, not feeling very well, fanning herself and everything. Carrie asks her to fill in as interim chief of the ER because Romano's gone. And all of a sudden, she says, no, I can't because I'm pregnant and pukes all over the floor right after telling Abby and Carrie, to which Abby responds, clean up in aisle five. So guess what, guys? Susan's knocked up. Who wouldn't want to be knocked up by Donald Logue? Jesus Christ. Uh, (laughs) And then from there. Before we leave it, before we leave it behind forever, can I just make on record, go on record Mm -hmm. with how aroused I am by the idea of breakfast pierogies? 
Like that sounds. Yes, yes, absolutely. That sounds so yes. good. <laughs> absolutely, Daniel. No. We'll figure out how to make them when when we're in St. Paul. You and I will go on a mission to figure out how to make breakfast pierogi. There's a I guy am, like, desperately craving a breakfast pizza right now. There's a guy. At, I can cross both of these things off of your list when you go. There is a guy at the farmer's market who does pierogies, and they're phenomenal. And then the pizza place uh, in downtown also does. They are like world famous for their breakfast pizza. So like, so coming this August, <laughs> August lounge to coming a in stomach hot. near me. Oh, but with all that, we are in with bangs. I can't see really well with my right eye. Uh, 31-year-old from earlier in trauma. Okay, I guess we do revisit him pretty quickly. And whose films are those? It feels dirty when I bring it in myself. Uh, Kem is watching the trauma as Sam, Luca, and Carter begin to run it. And ah, uh, yes, we have Luca back on his less testing tirade, which Kem uh, actually watches with a very interested eye. She's She's having some interested kind of observations here with this so we'll we'll touch on her reaction to luca's uh high horse here in a bit and uh sam's like well i don't care if you don't think this person needs a blood test it's whatever blood test it's a trauma i'm doing a trauma panel because that's what guidelines are i'm not gonna lose my job because you don't want me to do this test good on her um and we finally come to it folks my absolute favorite joke in this entire show all downhill from here uh let's listen to what uh, let's let's find out what carrie is dedicating in romano's name dr robert romano was a fixture in this hospital for years his dedication to the staff and patients will be hard to forget and his generosity continues even now yeah you don't Good, a significant you. portion of Dr. Romano's estate was left to this hospital to further our service of this community. And to that end, I am pleased to announce the creation of the Robert Romano Center for Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, and Transgendered Healthcare. This new facility will provide the latest in health services to those patients and their families. Oh, yes, she did. All right, that's it. Back to work. Brad, you missed your appointment with Bob Harris from Risk Management. Yeah, I know. I've been a little yeah, busy. Yeah, I got you another appointment in 30 minutes. Don't be late. Is it just me or do the eyes seem to follow you? Was Romano's prosthetic arm destroyed in the accident? Why? Because if it wasn't, it's going to hunt Dr. Weaver down and strangle her. He wasn't a big supporter of gay rights. Ah, uh, no, not really. That's too creepy. Did I miss the dedication? More like post-mortem payback. Everything about that is it's Liz- perfection. It's Liz. It's Lizzie's. Oh my god! At the very end, that always gets me. I love the. Uh, I, I love uh, Carrie doing the whole spiel and proudly announcing it, and then the second the last word has left her lips, she's like back to work, like immediately. Also, her. I love. I don't know, like how how much you guys work with people who have to do like conferences like this and stuff, but I love. I love watching when you can clear that you can tell clearly that somebody has their like presentation voice on for Mm. like professionalism because hers is so over enunciated here and then the minute she's done she's just like fuck it back to work yeah just like it's so crisp and like just i just appreciate it because it's something uh i watch my mom do a lot so 
just like that just that's your that's your presentation voice mom you don't do your work voice <laughs> with me lady but uh, karma comes back to bite you even when you're dead such a such a great God. payoff like i love it i i'm just the only thing about it that it shocks me now is is seeing you know now that we're doing this week by week seeing how far removed it is from right from freefall like i thought it was easily yeah. in the next episode maybe the one after i certainly didn't think it was a full five episodes later um really excellent way to close the book on that like uh, you know say what you will about the romano exit but if this ain't a damn good bookend on it like it is it's just phenomenal. It's so well played, so well done. I love the design on the plaque. Shout out to our uh, our, <laughs> our, our merch store where you can get a T-shirt with this uh, plaque design on it, and in and stick figure the, form, and the profits of which will go to benefiting uh, the exact kind of things that that this uh, th- yeah. this center was supposed to to benefit. Uh, so excellent the Howard Brown Health Center in Chicago, which, going... uh, which services the gay, lesbian, bisexual, <laughs> and, transgender and, and communities. Props to them too, especially considering this episode was written by R. Scott Gemmel. Props mm-hmm. to them for like proper terminology way back in two thousand and four. Yeah. Like, Whole thing. You could have easily imagined an alternate reality where he was using terms in there that would not be t- and transvestite health, right? Or would, something not, like would not would <laughs> not transsexual be, would not be twenty twenty four kosher. And yet he managed to actually, like, pretty much nail it. So. But, yeah, uh, sincere plug real quick. I'm going to repeat that. On the merch store, guys, we do have several colors and varieties of the Robert Romano uh, T-shirt that Daniel made with, like, a stick figure design. And it's fucking perfect. (laughs) And the proceeds do not go to us at all. We do not see a dime of if you buy those T-shirts or our Pride T-shirts. They all go directly to Howard Brown Health Center here, which both Lizzie and I use. They're great. So I am making a note to, to specifically put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Oh yeah, I'll pro- random, I will probably plug, but I'll probably post a link in the uh, on like our Instagram stories or something too, just to like remind people that it's there because I forget it's there sometimes. Yeah, uh, until you decide that there's an unhinged merch <laughs> idea you need to throw in there. Until it's... Hey, look, Daniel gets bored at work, and I still the have first res- content comes from it. Do you know how hard it is for me to resist buying our own merch, you guys? <laughs> Like that's the only drawback to it being a bonfire store is that I still have to pay for it just like you just like listeners do. Like we don't sit on this merch. It's it doesn't exist until you order it. So I might drop sixty dollars for a couple t shirts. It might happen. Uh, get yours now. Uh but we we go from there uh to Pratt examining some X rays, uh and a woman a woman who was at the dedication that he says hello to, um, uh says that they should discuss this over dinner, so you know. Pratt's Pratt's being Pratt right now. Uh, A trauma comes in a 20 year old male, approximately uh, who was part of a hockey hazing. If I remember correctly, Uh, he was uh, being tobogganed down by his friends and slammed into a tree. And then like his feet and legs were like in a Creek in, you know, freezing water. So it's not great. He can't feel his feet. So we're going to be, kind of this is gonna be a through line patient we're gonna follow him for a good part of the episode but we go from there over to uh an emt call uh one of those uh gallant as lord mentioned is on a ride along this week and sounds like they are at a domestic violence uh situation and so they are supposed to wait for the cops they knock on the door you know they're they make the make the call for backup but 
Gallant is having none of that. He wants to just cowboy right in, and the guy's like, fuck that, dude. Like, we're not supposed to go in there. Like, a, an EMT got shot last year because they went in without backup. So uh, you can understand where he might be coming from. We do get in this scene uh, a debut of a new character, one who we've uh, actually spoken to uh, and was actually a really cool guy. Uh, the other paramedic in this scene, uh, Bardelli, uh, who does, mm. I, I did hear him get name checked in this scene. So it's not, uh, not always a given with these EMT characters, uh, played by actor Louis Liberty, who, uh, he oh, yeah. uh, appeared in stuff like crazy, beautiful NCIS Los Angeles. And this game's called murder. And he's making his first of a whopping 48 appearances as Bardelli. So shout out to Louis. He was a really nice guy to talk to. Had some really, yeah. really interesting and and cool insights, kind of from that you know third, fourth tier mm-hmm. character perspective, and you know that and was just really cool. Definitely somebody who opened up and was super authentic with us from the get go. Like he was a very like chill person to talk to yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I still I, I follow him on Instagram. I I think he follows us. I honestly can't remember. Um, but uh, he teaches like free acting seminars uh mm-hmm. in uh la currently so like if you want to learn how to act go give louie a call um so yeah we go from there back to the er where kim is talking to frank about their record keeping and the training needing for desk clerkship uh and uh, frank is visibly annoyed by uh by kim in this moment uh carter uh Carter stops by and tells her to go catch Luca's lecture, both for her own benefit and to get her away from Frank a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, more on that in a bit. Then Lizzie pops in to ask Carrie what the hell was up with the dedication. And I forget the exact line. I was kind of hoping we had it in clip form. but I f- Sorry. I, f- I forget what the exact line is, and I'm going to butcher it. But it's, a, it's one of those, like, Frank TM lines that is, like, the substance of, of it is bad but the delivery by Troy Evans is so good that it still made me laugh where he, uh, he leans over as Carrie and and Lizzie are talking and is like transgender, whatever the hell that means. (laughs) (laughs) I totally missed that. It's such a good line. (laughs) Like it's, it's a bad, it's a bad line. Transgender meets me, (laughs) but it's the a plus for delivery. (sighs) That's Frank in a nutshell. Right. Uh, so yeah, uh, Gold star for Frank there. We go back to uh, the domestic violence situation. They they bust in the door and uh, it's a it's it's what you expect. It is it's a you know drunken husband beating on his wife and he tries to claim that she tripped and that's why she's all beat up. Uh, that sucks. It's awful. Don't want to think about it. Uh, we go back from there to Luca's lecture uh, and he's kind of quite literally lecturing these med students about uh, providing alternative testing methodologies uh, in lieu of more expensive current tests. And Kim is, you know, kind of enthralled by this. To me, I think there is a much more interesting plot thread in this episode to be had from Kim, Kim and Luca getting into a philosophical debate about these things. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like there is a, there was, there was money left on the table with that. In my opinion, uh, we'll go back to Doug Popsicle guy. Uh, yeah, it was frozen because of a hockey initiation and Sam encourages active rewarming. Pratt thinks passive is fine since he's improving on his own, but he can't wiggle his toes. Uh, Carter tells them to wait on an MRI until after they warm the feet to see if it's just frostbite or not. And Doug says he can't feel anything and asks if he's paralyzed. And Pratt is it run is 
gun shy. So he was like, eh, let's just get the MRI. I mean, can you blame him? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would want an MRI if I was the patient in that situation. Like, no. Yeah. Bitch, I can't feel my toes. I don't care. Yeah. Like, and he, the dude's visibly panicked, too. Um, I have no way of verifying this. Like, no, like, I mean, I, I guess I do have a way of verifying. I could do, like, a control F on every season we've done up till now. But it does. <laughs> that sounds miserable. It does feel like this is the first time that they've reused the character name Doug since Clooney left. And, I think so. And it, it was particularly weird to hear that name again. Uh,. Just kind of casually mentioned, like I just I don't know. It, it was one of those like, oh, weird. Haven't heard that. Haven't heard that sound in a while. Um, but Doug here is played by actor Corbin Allred, who appears in stuff like Teen Angel, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and CSI Miami. And then uh, Bob Harris with Risk Management has tracked Pratt down because they need him to write up a recollection on Martin's case. Uh, this is a reminder. This is the young man that. Um, that Pratt unfortunately paralyzed because of his, uh, oh my God, what's the... Uh, ankylosing spondylitis. That's the one because of that when he went to intubate him and snapped his neck. Uh, they're working on the settlement given his 40 to 50 years of round-the-clock care that he'll need. And Bob Harris is just like, my dude, you you fucked us. This is going to be in the millions. You need to get a report on what happened so we can settle this. Yes, and uh, Bob Harris here is the the quintessential, uh, oh, hey, it's that guy. I'm scrambling to put him back in the notes here because it clearly didn't make it from my personal notes doc into the main doc. That's on me. It's okay. Uh, it's fine. But, uh, yeah, uh, Bob Harris here, played by actor Sterling K. Brown, one of the, like, the in the last, certainly in the last 10 years, I would say, uh, kind of, like, actory actors – like, <laughs> like he, like, like I'm not. Uh, that, that sounds like I'm, I'm being facetious. Like he's he's an actor. He's actor. one of the actors of all time. But no, like he really is like next level. Like mm-hmm. you're always. Gonna, I recognize him from Black Panther. Right. You're always going to get a good performance out of Sterling K. Brown, no matter kind of what he's in. Um, and I feel like the biggest biggest crime out of this is that like he's only in this one episode. Like and they kind of they kind of make it seem like this is going to be more of a like thing like a, a mini arc even and it doesn't like maybe it does off screen you know maybe there will be some verbal mention of it in next episode but like no this is this is the only time we'll be seeing Sterling K Brown which is unfortunate um, but uh, he has of course appeared in stuff like as Lizzie mentioned Black Panther the TV series This Is Us uh, and uh, American Crime Story which I will continue to reference until someone else watches it uh, where he plays uh, a member of the prosecuting uh, team for the O.J. Simpson trial the O.J. Simpson trial where he played uh, prosecuting attorney Chris Darden and like is a dead fucking ringer for him like nailed that guy uh the both physically and just performance wise um so yeah love sterling k brown a plus addition nice. to this episode good catch uh then we go back uh, over to the domestic violence call and the the mom's wounds appear not, not mom's the the woman spoiler alert the woman's wounds appear superficial and her lungs are okay her name is amy Husband was arrested, and Gallant wants her to get a head CT once they get her to county. And as they start to hear crying in a closet, and as they go to open the door, a gun goes off. And it's a little boy holding the gun, like, 
close to himself in the closet, squatted on the floor, and he says, I thought you were my dad. Ooh. Rough day. And our little boy here, who we will come to learn, is named Rudy. He is played by actor Cody Estes, who appeared in stuff like uh, NCIS, Crossing Jordan, and Scrubs, where he played young Zach Braff in a series of flashbacks. And I'm going to say, right, God, I wish our listeners could just, like, see the struggle that I'm dealing with right now, the little patchy, the pirate situation I have going on. But anyway, um, I'm just going to go ahead and assuage everybody's fears. He is the exact opposite of the shitty kids list. He gets a gold star for being a little trooper. Parentified mm-hmm. kids, especially in abuse situations, I will never make fun of them. This kid, this child actor, does such a good job with this shitty situation. Like, just no shitty kids list this episode. This kid's amazing. Um... With that being said, we go back over to Luca's lecture where it's continuing. Uh, Kem asks if the real solution would be to have several hospitals share a scanner because, in theory, Luca's way of doing it actually doubles the cost of tests because you're doing less, so the life of the machine, blah, 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 creative accounting, blah, blah, blah. I did enough of that today. I'm not going into it. (laughs) Point is, she's having a different philosophical kind of outlook on this whole testing issue than Luca is. So uh, her argument is basically that there's a bunch of like fixed costs associated with having and maintaining an MRI regardless. Mm-hmm. So if you use it, if you use it 10 times, you can bill 10 different people smaller amounts. But if you use it only five times, those costs are still those costs right. regardless. So gotta some, the money's got to come from somewhere. So those five people will be paying a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, Thank and, you for summarizing that. And again, like I feel like this is where the money was in this episode, really, as far as Kem is concerned. Like I feel like if you'd have just paired her off with Luca and left it at that and gotten her away from Carter for an episode, I, I feel like it would be a much better um much better reception for or, the character at this point. Or even truly let her stay up in the AIDS clinic. Let her actually Sure, yeah. Like like she is in there later. Let her actually be involved there for the sure. episode instead of just kind of flitting her around all over the hospital because nobody wants her. Right. Yeah. I think having her in one place with one character and, and more importantly, like I said, getting her kind of away from Carter and because they are by the end of this episode, they are really fucking annoying by the end of this. Yep. episode, Like with the lovey dovey shit and the, like the doe eyedness, like it is, it all is I want, a lot. all I want is chocolate and sex. It is a lot. So like, get her away from him and like let her stand on her own two feet. Cause there is a little bit of like, they're, they're diluting the character through the writing here. And that's, it's frustrating well, to watch. Even like when Carrie's like, get her a credit card, she'll be happier. Right. Yeah. I didn't love that. Like line. what the fuck Especially from Carrie, that line doesn't make any sense. Like just, yeah, you know, bitches be shopping. Like they just like, it, remember we're in our Scott Gemmel episode. I Still, I, I choose to give him a, no, I don't. But anyway, um, <laughs> With that all being said, uh, Sam asks Carter about a patient he discharged with abdominal pain, and he's like, yeah, he was fine, whatever, it doesn't matter, guy was good, he's gone. Uh, Carter asks how Alex is doing, and she's like, well, he hasn't tried to do, I can't even remember what procedure she said, but she's like, he hasn't tried to do something to himself, and uh, Carter goes, he'll probably end up a brain surgeon, to which uh, Sam replies, yeah, or a grave robber, which, good on you for knowing your kid, uh... Luca comes up and Carter asks him how the class is going and he just goes, ask Kem. She seems to be doing most of the talking. 
Which again, it implies that she's over in this lecture hall still going off and he went to grab a cup of coffee. Show me that. Show me Kem getting Lester's attention. <laughs> Show me like Lester's growth arc through being just absolutely in awe of this brilliant woman. The, like, yeah, the other part of it that I dislike too is is Luca's sort of like... I don't know if it's intimidation or if it's just like, but like he, he's very dismissive of Kem's presence. Yeah. And which is so weird because like, she's a part of this huge thing that he and Carter have gone and through. That, You'd think that, that there is, would be, he is the, like he went there first. So like, he is the one yeah. who's got the emotional buy-in. If there's any, if there is such a thing between him and Carter, like if there is such a, uh, a, a difference, like he's the and one he's that went the... first. You would think he would be the one to be the most enthusiastic to debate these fucking topics with her. That and he's the reason Carter went back to where Carter ended up staying, so they met in the first place. Like yeah. there should be a lot more giving a shit here. Right. Like there should be a lot more bonding between Kem and Luca than there is. Right. Yeah, I don't I really dislike his character his attitude and his characterization towards her in this episode because I feel like it's not only out of character and and wrong for him but i also just again i feel like it does a disservice to that character it's like it it is sort of in a way it is helping me because it's helping me understand how these opinions have formed about kim over the years Mm -hmm. because the writers are not doing you any favors like the writers are not gonna provide any sort of help to this character and if all the characters are asking or acting like she's a pain in the ass then of course that's gonna be what's remembered right exactly but then uh, following up to that, Kem comes back down and asks about the lack of primary care doctors. She's like, why do so many people come here? Because the U.S. sucks, Kem. Because mm-hmm. the U.S. sucks. We really do. Burn it down. Uh, Neela goes over to help a woman with her two kids coughing, and Kem walks over to observe, and it sounds like they have whooping cough. Oh, boy. Uh, Kem is shocked that there's whooping cough in Chicago, and Carter's like, yeah, we get the odd case here and there. Which I don't know how whooping cough is transmitted, but shouldn't these people have masks? That's on? what I was wondering throughout the episode yeah. too. Like, there's a real. I mean, I'm sure it's not. It's I know it's one of those diseases that is like you're much more vulnerable at certain ages, but like, just general precaution, you would think like masks would be like the first option. Lizzie, Google it. I don't have my phone. Uh, <laughs> Google. Oh, how pertussis is? Yeah. Transmitted. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, Carter uh, sends Kim off to the infectious disease lab for a tour because we really are at this point just going to go put her off in a corner. Bacteria, the bacteria that cause whooping cough spread easily from person to person through the air. When a person who has whooping cough sneezes or coughs, they can release small particles with bacteria in them. Other people then breathe in the bacteria. There you go. Put the masks on these fucking people, Carter. Yeah, the fact that that's never brought up, like that is never even suggested as like, oh, hey, maybe we should be wearing masks or or give me some narrative. It's it's so rare they do masks. Well, so it's because at the end of the day, it's a TV show and they don't want to. No, but I'm just saying in general, they don't, they like, don't want to be uh, blocking the mouths of their moneymakers, you know, and and I'm sure it, like I'm they, sure it makes audio production a fucking nightmare, too. <laughs> like, but they don't even like mention it right. or anything like PPE just doesn't exist. Yeah. Except for smallpox. Except for smallpox, or in the OR, they do they they or do the they OR. do the masks in the OR. But they do the yeah. I know. Uh, but we see uh, the the uh, mother from the de- uh, domestic violence incident being brought in for treatment. Uh, we then do a, a quick cut over to Neela and Kem riding the elevator upstairs, and Neela asks Kem how she's liking it in Chicago, 
And uh, I believe it's Kim who says they're larger than I expected. Mm-hmm. The people, which a is yes, is but... it is kind of a a, a shitty like Americans fat right kind of joke. But also at the same time, I feel like it is a missed opportunity for a visual gag of having Jerry uh, walk past right outside the <laughs> right outside the door when they open up. Uh, I Jerry and Frank at the admit desk or I just, something. And just like, I really miss my boy for one thing. Uh, but just for another, it does remind me of my favorite line in the entire series, which is Neela showing her family around the ER and getting to the admit desk and going, "That's Jerry. He runs this place, and he's very big." That's like that is my. A plus five star line of the entire show, right there. Uh, Can we just talk to Abe Ben Ruby again, just for fun? Uh, every day for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they talk about the serving sizes in the U.S. because again, this is early two thousands. Super Size Me was last year, folks. The documentary mm-hmm. was last year, uh, which you know they later found out that he kind of falsified most of the results of that documentary. But uh, you know, I'm besides shocked. besides the point, it's it's one of those things that again. As somebody who my degree is in exercise science, like nutrition and fitness and stuff was a big part of my life for a long time. The the spirit of that documentary was not incorrect, but it was sort of like over sensationalized, over dramatized to uh, achieve a point on the part of the guy making it. And, you know, so. It did lead to something sort of positive, I guess, in that, you know, it, it sort of shamed McDonald's into to dropping the, like, super-duper size uh, portion things, you know? Uh, but I don't know that it's had the enduring, lasting impact that uh, he probably would have liked it to have had 20 years ago. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of, that's that's them doing their, you know, pop culture commentary thing. Um, but we see Carter working with Amy, uh, goes off... Uh, Gets her stabilized, goes over to check on Rudy, the son, and uh, Gallant is in there helping out with Rudy, uh, keeping him company, keeping him calm. And it's just nice to see Gallant get to do something for a change. Mm-hmm. Is really He's great in this episode. He really is. He's a, a, a low-key MVP this episode. And again, I would not have expected an episode from R. Scott Gimmel to have like one of my favorite portrayals of a child. Character depth and from Gallant in this economy? With this, with this writer? Uh, but yeah, we go back over, we got go it. back over and check in on Doug, who's feeling better slash warmer, uh, Carter, uh, which they're wheeling him. I should mention they're wheeling him mm-hmm. back in, which Carter intercepts and, and asks where they're coming from and is, uh, none too pleased to find out that they're coming back from MRI. And Sam and Junior are complaining about the doctors at the, at the admit desk. Uh, Sam finds out that Abby has been with both Carter and Luca and Junior calls Abby the ER slut to which Abby immediately is like. You're one to talk. Yeah, like really. <laughs> missed missed opportunity to invoke the name of Mark Tiberius Green here. We really right? really could have brought that one up. Uh, when we are told that Kovach gets around, which yes, that is that yeah. is true. We then go up to the infectious disease uh, section of the hospital where the doctor is giving Kem her tour, and he talks about how there's lower AIDS rates these days as far as like what they're seeing how there would be days where it in the past it would have been a floor full of people just a line out the door waiting to get treatment and now it's you know thankfully dwindled down to a manageable number but um he says oh you're welcome to observe the outpatient clinic and he opens the door and you know we see the waiting room and this would have been a great spot to have kim do her thing mm-hmm. this would have been a great spot for her to ask all those questions where she's a specialist 
and like get this data for taking back instead of having her go back downstairs again no fault of her own but having her go back downstairs and be a punchline have her up here actually getting data that matters for her and like that passion that she has like let it be up here instead of downstairs like with if we're not going to do the thing with luca have her up here Mm -hmm. but we then go over to Neela examining a patient and she's giving the work up to Pratt. As this happens, Carter barges in to chew Pratt out and then asks Neela to finish her presentation of the patient. Um, this guy's name is Mr. Morgan. He's having trouble breathing. Carter says they'll need to do a thoracentesis um, because he doesn't want them to have to wait for pulmonology, which was going to be what Pratt was suggesting. And Carter calls Pratt gun-shy from breaking Martin's neck, and he's like, I'll just do the the thoracentesis. I don't want to make this guy wait. And Pratt's like, no, fine, I'll do it. Give it here. Great. Cool. So Pratt's going to do this uh, thoracentesis, and then Kem finds Carter and tells him that he needs to come look at a patient. Yep. Cool. That was a fast I mean, tour. I, know, I do know that, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of right there in the title of the episode, but I do... Um, I do sort of like again the like the the evidence of growth that we see where Carter is in the hierarchy of things in the ER, where mm-hmm. like it is kind of one of those cool take a step back and look moments and, and think of where we've where we've been with Carter in the past and where we are now to where he is sort of this like trusted resource and this trusted like um authority i guess you know i mean i know i know he's mm-hmm. he's chief resident or whatever or attending or I, f- I forget exactly what his fucking title is at this point chief resident i'm pretty sure um i was like is he still after being gone for so long i think long? so yeah i think he is but yeah so i mean it's just it's just cool to see those kind of benchmark moments where you know carter is the 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 elder statesman, I guess, for lack of a better word, like he is in many ways, even though I don't think he ever achieves kind of the same status, like he is sort of a little bit in that green role at this point. Like he is kind of the the steadying hand that everybody turns to and looks for in these moments of crisis. Right. Uh, and Pratt gets asked to go to a club with a bunch of nurses. And what's with all the nurses being right? really horny for Pratt? This everybody's week? really thirsty for Pratt. It's weird. Like has the has the stink of Chen finally worn off that, or the, the how vulnerable he is about Val from the last couple weeks. Some, I guess, uh, but Frank says there's a call from Chen in China, and he's like, uh, and while he's on the phone with Chen, uh, Lizzie comes down looking for a patient, and other people just keep needing Pratt, and turns out Chen's mom just died, and something I forget what uh, gets Pratt taken away i think i think one of his... the, but but he just hands the phone to corday is like here talk to chen her mom just died and i want to note something here uh when i forgot to get this in the notes when lizzie's down looking for a patient we're told that dr lawson from radiology took the patient mm-hmm. which will come into play a little bit yeah. later yeah <laughs> i think it's one of his patients is crashing or something and he has to like run off yeah and he's like here yep. take the phone talk to chen which it's like You could probably count on one hand the number of times that Lizzie and Chet have interacted over the years. I think think it's Mr. Morgan, because Carter gets called in shortly after. Uh, But we go over to uh, the pertussis mom and her kids. Uh, Kem is translating here because the woman is from, I think, Haiti. Uh, So Mm -hmm. she speaks French. Um, 
and we find out that she has another 18 month ho- 18 month old at home with her sick mother uh and uh her mother the the child's grandmother doesn't doesn't want to come in because she doesn't trust american doctors uh Fair. and kem is immediately like got a little bit of the like doug ross gene got a little bit of the you know the john carter gene and like it is like i was gonna say this is something that carter would have totally done if this was like his patient and it was an attending telling right him, and no. not, not only something there. he would do but fairly certain it's something he has done um but carter is like trying to push back and is like well we don't do house calls that's not how it works in america and kem th- again this is where they really start to lay it on thick with the like doughy eyed stuff and the like oh i can make him do anything just by blinking at him kind of thing and so you know she doesn't and she ultimately doesn't say or do anything but eventually carter folds and asks a lot to do him a favor uh presumably relating to this so it's uh like i said if nothing else this episode is really opening my eyes and helping me understand where some of the attitude towards kem as a character comes from i still don't agree with it but the it is just plain fact that like the writing is not doing the character any favors no you know they're 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 minimizing all the most interesting aspects of the character in favor of just like she's she might as well be blonde like she she might as well be just like any of carter's other nameless you know girlfriends over the years um but in any event we go uh, carter gets pulled away uh, to uh, check on Mr. Pratt's, uh, Mr. Pratt, Mr. Morgan, <laughs> Pratt's patient, uh, and uh, he's not doing well. Sats, uh, his sets are starting to come up, uh, especially after Carter pops in a chest tube, and uh, Pratt then walks out, and Pratt is just like fully overwhelmed at this point, and runs off to the drug closet. And I couldn't really see. He picks up some. He picks up some drug off the shelf, and like I couldn't quite make out exactly what it was or what he's. What the implication is that he? I think he's just frustrated. I thought he was just like slamming his hand, kind of thing, just in a like quieter place in the yard. Yeah, but yeah. So they're in the 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 Doug and Carol memorial closet there, and you know he picks up the kind of kind of smashes his hand against the the shelf there. Just clearly overwhelmed. He's had a day. Uh, very tense music from uh, from Martin here. Shout out to our friend Martin. Uh, just you know, heart goes out to Pratt here, having a having a real one. Uh, and Carter is looking for Kem and Pratt, uh, but Kem's out comes out of an ambulance with the baby and the grandma. And EMT says, "Oh, she's persuasive." I got to uh, Carter. Sh- I got to say the time for this episode, like they are so loosey goosey. With what's going on in this episode, because one minute Kem's looking at Carter, and the next minute she's getting out of an ambulance with this baby. Yeah, they've done a full run off uh, to the to the site, like presumably talked to these people, and then loaded them up and brought back, all in the space of like two minutes. Sorry, Lizzie, yeah. go ahead. It's okay. Carter's shocked that she went out there on her own, slash with the EMTs. Uh, Grandma has been sick for several months, and like like some other people in the building have been. Carter is clearly miffed that Kem exposed herself to pertussis, but she says that 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 whooping cough isn't a risk to her pregnancy. And he's like, what about TB? And she's like, I'm exposed to worse things at work. Yeah. Yeah, like, she'd have good risk evaluation skills. She's a doctor like you are, Carter. She works with infectious diseases all the time in the Congo. She knows what she's doing. She works with pregnant women all the time. Like, she knows... 
She is a healthcare worker. She knows. Yeah. I, again, like, too, the, the, they're minimizing the character's agency a little bit, too. Like, they're, like, mm-hmm. like you said, she's a doc. Like, she knows what she's doing. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I could understand it if he was upset from a liability standpoint or from a, like, I'm going to get shit from Weaver for this standpoint. Like, right. if he's like, you're going to make my professional life harder or you're going to, like, you know, potentially expose yourself to, like, a lawsuit or something. But, like, or like the fact that he's upset yeah. that she went on a fairly routine EMT call and, like, it was fine. Like, it's just, you know, I'm just, I'm such, I'm so disappointed in this aspect of the writing. Like, and I'm, I'm concerned that it's not going to recover. And that's what really bums me out because like they do, they do establish quite a bit of Kem's character in Africa. And it's like the second she touches down in Chicago, they forget about all of it. And it really bums me out. Yeah. Again, that loss of agency that suddenly she's supposed to like run everything by Carter. Yeah. Like if, if he had gone, he wouldn't have expected that he'd need her permission so why would she need it anyway i could go on for days about that but anyway uh sam is working triage and what i call a gentle giant named louie picks sam up as she's trying to give him some meds this was kind of reminiscent of early season patrick a little bit yeah just just very very sweet uh simpleton for lack of a better word um and abby tells abby comes over and is like oh louie Put Sam down. Here's a stick of gum. Whatever. And so, like, Abby's like, "No, you gotta, you gotta give him gum before you give him his shots, and then he's good. It's he's harmless." Such a, whatever. It is. It is definitely <laughs> an early season bit. Patient. Bit, like right? this feels so organic to like the first season or two, uh, because there's yep. no there's no depth to this. There's no like follow up. There's no, not that I want there to be. I'm just saying like this is completely just, just look at this weirdo. Like that's that's a hundred percent what it is, but it's done in the best, most endearing sort of way. It's not it's not about like hey look hey it's not a punch down. Yeah, it's it's not going hey look at this weirdo, isn't he weird? It's just like hey weird shit happens in here sometimes. It's. It's Pablo and Patrick. It's just, hey, this is a part of our lives. This is a normal, like, whatever. So, just I just thought it. I just thought it was quaint. I love how Abby handles it. But then, as you know, as Sam's giving Louis a shot or whatever, Abby says, "Oh, please don't get the wrong idea about Luca. Like, he's a good guy." And Sam, in true Sam fashion of look how independent and amazing I am, says. No, independence works pretty good for me, though I wouldn't mind some regular sex. And I think Abby says, I wouldn't mind some irregular sex, <laughs> which I Ayo. thought was cute. Good good lady, good lady chat. Um, but then a man comes in saying he was shot and he's got a gunshot wound on his leg. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Sam is giving Gallant a rundown of Amy's condition. They need to keep her overnight. Gallant wants to work the system so they can admit Rudy and keep them together because otherwise Rudy would have to go to a foster home for the night. And uh, he pulls Sam into it by saying, well, what if it was Alex? To which Sam immediately goes, all right, I'll get a chart going. So they're going to lie and say Rudy's dehydrated or something so they can keep him overnight with his mom. Great. And uh, Rudy complains to Gallant that they took his gun and says, how am I going to protect my mom? Which, oh my God, my heart cannot break enough this episode for this child. Then mm. Kem comes into the trauma with the pertussis grandma. Uh, Carter's doing chest compressions. Pratt is handling 
the defibrillator and she has flatlined and they're clearly not going to get her back. So Carter has to tell the woman about her mom and Cam, Cam explains what's going on in between all of the exposed grandma boobs that are going on here. Grandma titties. Daniel's like, you got it. God. I'm sorry. One more time, Grandma Daniel? titties. Oh, <laughs> uh, I want to know. Had a, you, I just had a really, I just had a really intrusive thought. Oh, please. Whose tits are those? Our <laughs> <laughs> uh, OnlyFans. Uh... <laughs> Uh, 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 patrons, I want you to know you pay for us to be this fucking stupid. How's it feel? Oh boy! Oh boy. <sighs> they do it gladly. Gotta love that commitment to medical accuracy. Uh, when I when I had to explain to my extent, not explain, but when I had to go <laughs> home for Christmas uh, and talk to my extended family who I hadn't seen in forever, who were all very supportive of the podcast. Every time I tell them or my stepdad that people actually pay us for bonus content. It's amazing. It's they're like not not that they don't believe me, but they're just like neat. And I'm like, say, you're you're preaching to the choir. I have no idea why y'all do this. Spe- but speaking just, of bonus content, somebody film you trying to explain the concept of bonus content to your stepdad. Please, please give me that. Uh, I'll take that live stream any day. Yeah. Coming Christmas 2024. Oh I gotta wait that long. Uh, we, oh, I can make it happen sooner. That's the next time we're gonna we then go Lansing. check on uh, the what I'm affectionately calling leg GSW guy uh, because he's never really given much of a character character name. Uh, Abby pulls Carter in to look at him. We find out that his wife accidentally shot him. Uh, it's never made abundantly clear what the situation was here. It's it sounded like he like they bought a gun and he told her she needed to learn how to use mm. it. And she must have just misfired and shot him in the leg. But yeah, because she she makes a couple comments of like, I didn't even want one in the house. And he's like, well, you need to know how to use it or shit like this will happen. Bit of of a sloppy plot thread there. But um, the bullet is in his right ventricle, uh, traveled up his femoral (laughs) vein and into his heart. uh, And they're trying to make sure that the bullet doesn't go into his lungs while they wait for surgery. So not great here. Uh, We should point out, guy's conscious this whole time, too. Conscious and talking this whole time. Uh, GSW guy here is played by actor John Curry, who appears in uh, appeared in stuff. He does a lot of voice work, uh, but he's mm. in stuff like uh, the TV series Nine One One. Voices in Call of Duty: Modern Warfare Three. A lot of game credits for him. Uh, he's also in uh, Saints Row as well. Uh, One hundred and twenty-four credits to Gunshot Wound guy's name. Uh, and the wife is played by actress Lauren Cohn, who appeared in stuff like Legally Blonde 2, Space Cowboys, and Royal Pains. Uh, let's go to our, I believe, last audio clip here. Yeah. Uh, Carter and Pratt are in the bay, and Carter has some choice words for the, for Pratt. Paramedics ran over a bone. Yeah, well, it happens. So, seven is my record. <clears throat> what? We lost seven patients in one shift my second year of residency. That's supposed to cheer me up? Uh, no. Uh, uh, when you first got here, you were dangerous, reckless, and arrogant. Is this your idea of a pep talk? Hey, we all get our confidence rattled. If you don't, then you should start worrying because it means that you've stopped caring. Believe me, you could do a lot more harm playing it safe. So we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. What do you want me to tell you? Everything's going to be okay? That you're going to get so good that nothing bad is ever going to happen again? Forget it. This is what we do. If we're successful in our jobs, then patients live. And if we're not, sometimes they die. 
The Wanda Paralyzed. Did you do what you thought was best? Was there a chance that you might have been right? Afterwards, did you tell the kid what had happened? Yeah. All right, then quit feeling sorry for yourself. You're a good doctor. Start acting like it. Big, big use of the tone moment starting there. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Which is so funny considering where we end up going uh, with Carter actually doing that little torch pass on his way out the door. Which we haven't seen Morris in a hot minute, have we? No, I don't think Morris is in this episode. Or if He's not in this yeah. one. Did we see him last episode? He was in last episode, yeah. But uh, I feel like we haven't like seen Morris or maybe, maybe, for a good maybe minute. Not. I don't think he was in last yeah, episode. It might have been the one before that. Because he's still technically, he's not actually part of the cast at this point. He's still yeah. just recurring. But yeah. Um, Where's my archer? But yeah, I, I love, uh, you know, like I said, there's, this is, for lack of a better word, like this is sort of Carter's uh, ascension, post-Africa ascension to the Mark Green status kind of episode. Like, to Greenhood. To Greenhood, yeah. Like we're getting all of the, the beats, you know, like we're he's he's saving people's asses in, in traumas and like he's the one that people turn to when things start to fall apart. And we get our little like, you know, confessional out at the basketball hoop which we haven't really gone to as a plot device in quite some time uh, i also love how pratt's like they ran over our ball yeah yeah so you know i i'm 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 into it i'm into all of it like this this as as nauseating and as frustrating as carter has been for the last little bit having him as front and center of this episode as kind of just being good at his job i didn't hate it I hate that part of me is like we've been having so many weird little like early season like not callbacks but just spiritual mm-hmm. moments that I'm like I just kind of want to put on season one and just vibe <laughs> like not have to watch it for content sure. but just fucking watch early season I don't know why that's where yeah. I'm at right now but uh we go over to Carter and Kem having a little chit chat about what happened and that's interrupted because Sam pulls Carter over uh, everyone from Pertussis family's building is here to be treated because Kem had convinced them while she was there getting the baby and the grandma. So I'm sorry they don't have a better name but Pertussis family, but that's what we're going with. Uh, Lizzie comes down to look for gunshot wound guy and it turns out Dr. Lawson took him upstairs too, like the patient earlier. Uh, Lizzie goes upstairs and talks to Dr. Lawson as he's in the middle of the procedure of moving the bullet. Um out of the heart so she can get to it easier in surgery. She's like, you've poached two of my patients today with no one talking to me. What the fuck? Yeah. So two things about this one, I completely, and I'm blanking on his name, but the last surgical guy with, with Lizzie, Mm. I, oh, Dorset. I keep for I, my brain keeps wanting to call him Dean Rollins, but that's not right because that's the uh, that's the, the prisoner. Absolutely prisoner not. Guy. Yeah, Dorset. So I lo- went back and looked in the notes. I completely whiffed on the fact that we're done with him. Like we we've seen the last of him already, and by quite a bit. Like it's been like more than five episodes since we've seen him, and we won't be seeing him anymore. So I kind of figured we were done once. Uh... Once the whole, oh, shit, he's married yeah, thing happened. Yeah, and that is kind of, for lack of, uh, you know, conclusion, uh, a concrete conclusion, like, that is, that's it for him. We won't be seeing him anymore. Um, because there was part of me as I was watching this going, like, God, they're not even, like, really finishing off one little dalliance for her before they're starting another one. Like, oh, kind of, because this does feel a little bit like take two on that like this feels like they got bored with the dorset thread and we're like oh actually there's going to be this other hot shot surgeon that she's got the hots for 
but we're gonna make this one British just to like just to just to just, just to a little you. twist on it, you know. Doctor Lawson here, played by actor Paul Blackthorne, aka Billy Zane, wasn't available. Uh, it's got a little bit of the Billy Zane vibe going on. A uh, little, little bit, bit, yeah, I can see it. More British. He's how can you get more British than, than Billy Zane? Like, uh, like Lizzie, more like know, stereotypically British. I was like, do you know who Billy Zane yeah, is? Yeah, you know from yeah. Titanic. There you go. Thank you. Uh, but the. This Dr. Lawson, Paul Blackthorne, he has uh, appeared in stuff like Arrow, Justice League, Doom, and the Flash TV series, uh, and he is making his first of five appearances as Dr. Lawson. Uh, Doug is getting ready to head out, and he thanks Pratt for the help in saving his life, and Pratt's like, I didn't do anything. And he's like, no, I feel better, and it's all because of you, like, thank you. So exactly what Pratt needed to hear after the fucking day he's having. Uh, And then we go over to Rudy. Um, He's like, Mom... Mom, can you hear me? Like, like lights are off in there, and Mom's quiet and asleep. And uh, Pratt comes in and asks what's going on, and Rudy's like, my mom can't hear me. What's going on? And Pratt says, oh, we gave her some medicine so she can sleep. Great. And Rudy says again, you know, I, I couldn't protect her. I failed. You know, uh, my dad is going to get out of prison again. He always does. He comes home and turns the lights off so I can't see him hitting her. But I always hear it. And uh, the way Pratt responds to this, I almost wish we had gotten an audio clip because he is so good with this kid. He's like, nope, you did her job. You did your job. You like she's safe. You she's in the hospital. You're here with her. You're supporting her. Just just Pratt with this kid is so good. And it's like it's exactly how you handle a parentified child or someone who's had to like feel like they're this caregiver because of something traumatic that's happened in their childhood. So just shout out to Pratt for being great. Shout out to R. Scott Gimmel for not fucking up how he writes this kid because this could have so easily been awful. Well, different kind of awful. So just, again, I wish we had gotten this audio clip because the way Pratt interacts with Rudy is so good. I'm sorry. That's okay. I didn't ask you to either, so... Sam and Cam are doing vaccine, vaccines for the, what Lauren called, lovingly calls the Pertussis <laughs> Squad. Uh, Carter asks Luca if he can lend a hand, and Luca says his, his lecture went very poorly, but when Carrie comes in and asks what the hell is going on, and uh, it's, there's, some, there's a little bit of back and forth, and Carrie says she doesn't need you interpreting for her. She's made herself perfectly clear, and from now on, no one else is that's going to Africa. The, that's one of, the, line one of, of the, the lines of the episode right there. Holy cow. <laughs> It's said with such perfect, like, serious carry venom, too, uh, where, she's, mm-hmm. where she's like, no, nobody's going, no one else is going to Africa. <laughs> I'm sick of this shit. Because, yeah, Kem, Kem, her justification is like, if these people don't get it here, they're not going to get it. None of these people have primary care doctors. You're their primary care doctor. Like, we can't turn them away. Right. And I... And Carrie, Carrie's like, technically you're right, but also it's, fuck It's you. yet another missed opportunity, though, in the chem thread of this episode, that in what universe would Carrie fucking Weaver not want to sit there and debate the, like, financial, logistical, and ethical, like, Pun- back and forth between first world and third world medical practices? Like, 
I fully believe if you put Kem and Carrie in a room together for a day, they could solve all of the world's health crisis. <laughs> and if you put Kem and Carrie in a room together uh, and did a full episode on it 20 years ago, uh, we could have avoided the founding of Facebook because like, Facebook groups as a concept would have collapsed in on themselves like a neutron star. <laughs> <laughs> you put Carrie Weaver and Kem in a room together and, and craft an entire episode in- around it? And... It's a beneficial episode where they're both painted in good oh. light. Oh, and for for extra extra good measure, add Jen Green in say, there. Yeah, <laughs> Jen Green looking through the window like Russell Crowe, <laughs> waving <damn> Daniel. <laughs> oh boy, uh, yeah. So we start to to wind down a little bit here. Uh, there's an 18 year old uh, patient. Bring, being brought in with a hockey puck to the face, uh, Pratt uh, jumps up and takes it because uh, this episode alternate title is How Pratt Got His Groove Back. Uh, Took the words right out of my mouth. That's basically the subplot for this episode. Uh, Lizzie shows up to pick Ella up from her little birthday party, and uh, Dad offers her wine, pizza, and birthday cake to get her to stick around and hang out uh, while the kids finish their movie. And they have some goofy but cute little banter about uh the mm-hmm. name of her surgery and they and like this is a genuinely sweet but also cathartic yeah. moment for our, i think us as the audience because it has been so like she got to have her like torrid affair with uh with dorset um and it was you know hot and steamy and it was all it was everything everybody had a great time but it is kind of cool and kind of sweet and kind of nice to get to see her have these just like more domestic sort of situations connections again where she could just relax be herself and like sit around and enjoy having a slice of pizza and like making jokes after a long hard day and so like i you know there's a lot that's been done wrong with lizzie since mark's passing um but it is nice when we get these brief fleeting glimpses of the character that we remember and love yeah um Back in the ER, Rudy's watching his mom. Gallant shows up with some burgers and fries. Uh, and he also got Rudy a giant flashlight so he doesn't have to worry about the lights being turned off on him. And, you know, we've said a lot about this storyline throughout this episode. It's just like this, I think, is is probably the crowning achievement of this episode for uh, R. Scott Gemmel. Like, he can really hang his hat on how well this storyline is done and what the amount of good that it does just for the subject matter and for Gallant's development and, and even whipping a little bit of Pratt in there as well. Like there's just a, a, a lot to like here. Um, Luca and Sam were both getting on the train home. Uh, Luca apologizes for him being a jackass this morning. Uh, but Sam responds by smooching him and ladies and gentlemen, start your ship engines. <laughs> it has begun. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. What's this We're, one called? Uh, Samka. Samka, I believe. Oh, Samka? That's worse. Suka. I like Suka. <laughs> Suka. Um, Suka. I'm trying to think of a better Sam ship name, but wait, no, because I don't say ship names because I hate all of them. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we're about to get into real fun territory here for... Um, now that Sam and Luke are together, it's about to get real divisive up in this podcast and up in our listener comments. Y'all... I'm not ready for it. We're gonna. It's gonna happen, but I'm not ready for it. And this is only the beginning of sloppy ships. Oy. So, uh, but then Kem is yelling for Carter outside the convenience store. She bought a ton of junk food, and she is starving because she obviously didn't eat anything real all day. 
And of course she's like giddy because she's just loaded up on all this sugar, but she's like, all I can think about is chocolate and sex. And she's just being super charming and meet cute with Carter. And, uh, it, this is a very sweet moment in the eye rolling of everything. I still appreciated this moment here where she's like, oh, can I come back to the hospital tomorrow? And Carter's like, no, Carrie said she'd fire me if you came back. She's like, oh, well, I can talk to her. No, you can't. You're not coming back. Yeah, that's that's again, that's the wide eyedness of it all that I find so grating yeah. about the characterization. I, I and and again too, the, the the we didn't really touch on it as much, but the body language between mm. between mm-hmm. these two every time they are on screen, it's like they don't want you to forget that It's soppy. Right. Like yeah, it is it is so much that like two people in your life have found each other and connected with each other and it's the first month and a half of their relationship and they won't fucking leave each other alone it's that level of like irritating and it, and most of it is passive most of it is just like every time they're on screen together she's touching something on him or he's touching something on her and it's just fucking grating and i just like this this episode with this thread in particular, I really would have appreciated a less is more approach. Like I really would have appreciated a, like, let's get them separated. Let's show what she can do on her own. Let's, let's, you know, focus on how much better and how much more, uh, in tune and mature he is in his role. Like they didn't need to do this. Like, Oh, let's keep mushing them back together and reminding you that, you know, they're, they're lovey dovey. It was just a little too much. Overall though, I'd say solid 7.5. Like, nothing I'd write home about, but still one that I'd put on in the background if, you know, stuff was just playing. Not egregious, nothing. <laughs> on the R. Scott Gimmel adjusted curve, it's like a, an 8.5. Yeah, Nine. It's a, it, it is his magnum opus at this point, uh, you know, given given what we've been given to work with from him in the past. Um, but it is kind of, it is kind yeah. of a quintessential uh, R. Scott Gimmel episode with the edges rounded off. Like... He's getting much better about the humor. He's getting much better about endearing storylines and, mm-hmm. like, m- developing those meaningful connections. But it is uh, – it's the opposite of better than the sum of its parts because, the like, mm-hmm. it, it's – there's a lot of good individual threads here and there's a lot of good moments and a lot of good stuff, like – but something about – like, he kind of fucks up the main thread. Like mm-hmm. the chem stuff comes off looking bad. And I don't think it's, it's mm-hmm. not Tandy Way Newton's fault. And it's not, I think it is the writing, like the writing, the character is written poorly in this episode. And I think that brings things down a, a peg. You know, if, if they had just fixed that thread, I think they've got a really good, like eight, eight and a half episode here. But because that, that main thread is, is dragging everything down so much, it drops back down to more like a seven. In my mm-hmm. opinion, totally fair. I honestly, have to give it a minimum of an eight just for the Ramon yeah no the, and the, the, yeah no the, <laughs> and that's like a that, that is so and that's the thing so <laughs> he's he's finding I really I really do think this is one of the most underrated uh like background things of the entire show for us is is watching this R Scott Gemmel curve happening because he's finding his voice comedically. Like mm-hmm. he's starting to grow a little bit and he's getting out of the, he can still have his like sophomoric stuff, but he's definitely learned how to like fine tune it and make it so that it's not just gross for the sake of being gross. Like, you know, there's, there's gold in here and he can be really funny when he like channels his energy properly. Uh, so like just 
I, I continue to be impressed. I continue to be impressed because in the early days of R. Scott Gimlet, it was like, oof, we are going to be in for a long, bumpy ride with this man because his episodes were so bad in the first few. But he's really impressed me with how much he's grown. Like I said, minimum, minimum eight, even though the rest of the episode was kind of weak for me. But uh, Lauren, what the listeners have to say about it? I'm going to make the joke again, but what didn't the listeners have to say about it this week? Uh, first off, we have at username 11, uh, get Carter, that seminal classic, and you guys thought The Missing was full of subplots that nobody cared Ouch. about. The only thing worth the only thing worth saving in a fire here is Romano's plaque and Weaver finally getting the last laugh on him with the dedication. It's head and shoulders the best thing about an otherwise blah episode. If anyone needed a sign that we were in the mid-season, this episode is it. Uh, at Carrot says, It was touching how Lizzie was genuinely concerned about Romano and his last wishes. In the end, she decided that what happened with the money was for a good cause, or just decided to let that one go, but it was kind of nice to see someone care about him. Don't get me wrong, he was a piece of human trash, but he had good moments, and man, if he didn't care for Lizzie, I don't know if you watch the same show. Uh... I kind of wish we got a bit more of Susan and Carrie regarding the former's pregnancy. Susan was so supportive of Carrie, and I just want to think Carrie would be just as supportive, well, in her own way. Ah, but that's just me, wanting the warm fuzzies. Also, Carrie had a baby last episode. Right? I just had that thought as I was never brought up once. (laughs) That's a very good point, Daniel. Thank you. We will get into that next episode, I'm sure. Uh, Here is some food for thought. Do you think Romano would treat an LGBT-identifying patient differently from any of his other patients? This applies both in the ER and the OR. Personally, I wouldn't think so. Despite that one comment about him crossing his fingers for the Hippocratic Oath, I do think he takes it seriously. His behavior with his coworkers slash employees and his behavior with his patients is a bit different. With those he works with or worked at this point, he was allowed to be, well, the Romano we all know him... We all know him to have been, but with patience, I think he isn't as spicy. Uh, At Simply Swooning says, There's really only two reasons not to completely skip this episode. Luca's in a suit, and Carrie Weaver proves once again why she remains the undefeated savage of ER. Other than that, the absolute dismantling of Kem's character from a fierce and driven AIDS worker to a bumbling, interfering, naive nuisance is so egregious. It leads to so many pointless cringe moments. Is there something about proximity to Carter that causes women to just lose their agency and strength of character? Ugh. Everything else is forgettable. This entire episode is the reason Fast Forward exists. At least we're one episode closer to the only saving grace of the second half of season 10. Abby's psych rotation. (laughs) Ugh, God, you guys are bringing it. I love it. At Dr. Kate says, This is another episode that I liked. It's a busy day in the ER, which is almost always something that I like. I don't find Kem annoying in this episode, and it's actually funny that people still claim she's a gold digger, considering this is how she would prefer to spend her time in the hospital versus spending his money. Excellent point. But but this episode does show that Kem isn't perfect, and yet Carter still seems to finally not want to change her or make her perfect. Relationship growth for him. Additionally, Carter comes off like a super competent doctor, which is also growth from my perspective. Finally, I love that Gallant actually gets a storyline this episode and gets to show off his compassionate approach to patient care. Also, super nice to see one of my favorite actors make an appearance, even if it's brief. Sterling K. Brown. One more thing. Isn't this Stephen Culp's second appearance, this time playing Dave Spencer on the show as a different character? I think he's in a season five or six episode playing a doctor. 
you got us. And last but certainly not least, we have Grace B. All I remember about this episode, and the reason I've not gone back to it ever, is the intense secondhand embarrassment I experience on Kem's behalf. And in my defense, before continuing, I would like to say that I am part of the Makemba Lakazu defense squad, and we have swords. That said, you can tell that county staff find her annoying and in the way. And I just don't buy that she's at all socially clueless not to notice. And truly not to have deftly found a way around that in the first place in order to achieve her larger goal of learning more about American public health. I remember it feeling like the writers were making Kem ditzy and doe-eyed as a cheap comic relief, and I hate this. Makemba Likasu deserves so much better. I am I'm glad to see from the already written comments that it looks like there's going that there. It looks like there's more to the episode than my brain will recall. I'm probably not going to rewatch it, but maybe it'll make it easier to sit through the painful sound bites I already know Lizzie is going to grab. <sighs> Do I have to? Um, all right. Well, that's going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. Uh, special plug to our bonfire store once again. Uh, I'll... Is it just? I, I I always forget. Is it just all the money we for that, that we no, for, make from that, for that those particular? Two? It's shirt. the pride yeah. shirts and Romano yeah. shirt. Okay. So all the pride shirts and the Romano shirt. Everything yeah. else we do get a cut of. So buy one of the pride shirts. Give it to a friend if you're not if you're not part of the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, wear the Romano shirt for the memes. Um, and. Uh, you can also uh, support us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Worth For the low price of only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and over 75 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Saying the Tone Podcast, and we are at Saying the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Saying the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, what can folks find you at? Oh, wait, you're on an I was going to say, uh, nowhere, because I am on an Instagram and Facebook break. So if they really want to get a hold of me, they can be on Discord or through the magic of grapevines. Maybe if they whisper it out into the ether, Daniel will let me know. Somebody posted somewhere about me on the social media pages. But I have uninstalled Instagram and Facebook right now. So I am currently off in the void trying to not doom scroll as much. You're flip phone from 1962 also receives carrier pigeons so if you're into that <laughs> oh i wish <laughs> that'd be so cool uh you can find me on instagram i should be i don't know why i have such an aversion to posting content on instagram but i'm i want to get back to it though i'll post I'm it filming, for you i'm fu- i'm filming myself this is this is how desperate she is people because uh, i'm filming myself doing climbing stuff and i want people to see it uh, but you can find me on there. I'm at randomgamer1. That's G A M 3 R. Uh, thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time and have a great week. Bye.